0: Good morning. We uh, began our study of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, and it's quite a change in tone from what we have just experienced in verses 8 and 9. Uh, There are basically three different sections of 2 Corinthians. The first section through chapter 7 is Paul addressing I think it doesn't say this, but reading between the lines, we can assume that he's addressing those who were under the sway of the interlopers, these people that Paul calls the super apostles. He mocks them, the super apostles. But now they had come to their senses. They had repented of their sin and in rejecting Paul as God's apostle sent to them. And he is joyous in writing that he just finally heard from Titus that there has been repentance among the Corinthians. Then he uses that momentum to go into asking them to continue collecting the offering that they began a year earlier. This is the offering that he's going to take to Jerusalem for the relief of the saints there. And they they were anxious about doing that. They were They were desirous of taking that offering. They asked him, could they participate in it? And now he's in Macedonia, and he has used that eagerness on the part of the Corinthians to stir up the Macedonians to give. And now he's going to travel to Corinth again and bring a couple of Macedonians with him. He says, if I get there and you haven't completed this offering, I will be humiliated not to speak of you. And so he's reminding them to do that. But now when we come to chapter 10, there is a remarkable change in tone. And so we'll begin by reading through that chapter. We'll come back and talk about this, this change in tone that takes place. And we'll go through all of our questions that I sent to you in email. Five of them this time I sent, but they're very easy. And they should have taken no more than a minute or two to answer each. Uh, and, and, and I gave you the answers right there in the scripture that you look at. So very easy questions this week. I hope we'll have a lot of participation in answering them. Let's go through and read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do. present, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful instruction in the history of Paul's ministry in Corinth. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts today. I pray that you would be with us and guide us now as we study this important passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a, there's a change in tone I mentioned, and look at it right back here in the beginning. Paul emphasizes who it is writing to them. Three-way, I Four-ways, I Paul, myself, entreat you. Now, many of you, I'm sure, have studied foreign languages that are highly inflected languages. Not inflicted languages. You feel like you're being inflicted when you study a foreign language, but inflected, meaning that the endings on the word change. And it's not necessary for Paul to say, I entreat, because being an inflected language, Greek has the word I incorporated into the verb itself. So just that one word means I entreat. Uh, he doesn't have to say I but he does. It's not paracolo, which is entreat, but it's ego paracolo. So it's an emphasis, it's a means of emphasizing what he's saying it is, I who does it. And then he emphasizes it even further by using the reflexive there, myself. It's I, Paul, myself, I entreat you. So he's using essentially four different ways of of emphasizing in the Greek language to call attention to what he is about to say. So it's very important as we go through here that we see these main points and so as we go through the five questions that'll bring out I hope the, uh, the main points that we need to understand and then we'll take a look at the passage as a whole as we go through the outline and incorporate these five things into that overall teaching of chapter 10. So let's look at question number 1. In verses 2 and 3, what is the difference in walking in the flesh and walking according to the flesh? And then I gave you some verses all in 2 Corinthians that help to understand what the difference is. So, who can tell us what is the difference between walking in the flesh and walking according to the flesh. Let's go back and just look at that. Uh, in what verse does two, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. What's the difference? In the flesh and according to the flesh. Walking in the flesh is just human frailty. Right. And walking according to the flesh is like being worldly. Yes, very much so. That's a good answer. Uh, To be in the flesh is what we're all doing right now we're all in the flesh we're in this life we're in the world hopefully we're not of it but we are in the world and we are human beings and we behave as human beings behave with the help of god and in sanctification in the lord jesus christ but there are some who walk according to the flesh unregenerate flesh and in the uh, examples that i gave to you in 2 Corinthians 1, 17, 4, 2 and 12, 16 through 18 we see Paul give an example of what it means to walk according to the flesh. Paul says I was vacillating when I wanted to do this. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes and no, no at the same time. So he's talking about the person probably who is uh, guilty of Playing both sides against the middle. Tells one person, yes, we'll do that, another person, no, we're not going to do that. But he wastes the last minute to actually decide which one to do. So he's he's taking it, he's manipulating. Second Corinthians 4 2 says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tap, <coughs> or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So walking according to the flesh then is practicing cunning or tampering with God's word, saying it says something that it does not say. And he counters that with the open statement of the truth. 2 Corinthians 12 says, But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Uh, so Paul says here he's not going to, he's not really crafty, although that's obviously an, an accusation that they are making against him. Uh, he, he can't make up his mind, and he tells us one thing, and then he does another. Mike. I'll, let me ask you this. The context of all this, walking in the, living in the flesh and then walking in the flesh, right. it's really in the church. I know it's, we, could, we could do the context of us personally. We want to make sure we do the right thing there, too, or in our family. But this is in the context of the church. It is. So that means that our leadership of our church, our elders, our pastors, should make sure that we are walking in the spirit in the activities we do in the church and not by the flesh. We shouldn't depend on worldly things for our church ministries. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, it I does. among churches in our presbytery when pastors and elders talk about where we're going as a denomination, we shouldn't be depending on worldly things. And I think we do that here pretty pretty carefully. Uh, the session is very careful about the different activities that we get into and in the, and we, we do not look for and plan for increasing the size of our congregation. We preach the word. Rick preaches the word. Uh, he, he often says that we are a, how does he put it? We are a consumer-driven church. You know, that's a big thing now. A lot of churches out there are consumer-driven. It's what can we do that will make people come in? Well, uh, Rick says we're a consumer-driven church, except we only have one consumer, and that consumer is God. And so all that we do in our worship is aimed toward pleasing Him, not pleasing the congregation, not pleasing so-called seekers. Uh, it's to please God. Now, that has resulted in growth for us. But even if it didn't, that would still be the, uh, the, the steps that we would take in, uh, in doing proper worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So... Uh, I do not use deceit, he says. Don't take advantage of you. And he denies their charge that he does. So Paul does not walk according to the flesh as they are saying that he does. Question number two. In verses three through six, Paul says he is waging war and he describes his weapons. This list is metaphorical. In other words, he's not really driving a tank uh, into Corinth. He's not even leading a bunch of chariots of war into Corinth. There's no real warfare, but metaphorically he's waging war. And that means there's a real weapon that he does use. And I gave you some examples there of, of what that is. Let's, let's look briefly at what he says he's doing. He says, we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, your obedience is complete. So these are all very military ways of talking about it, of waging uh, war. Uh, We have weapons that are destructive. Uh, We destroy arguments and lofty opinions. Uh, He brings thoughts and everything into captivity, so there's captivity. There's punishment for disobedience. All things that that take place in, in warfare, but that's metaphorical. What is it that Paul is actually doing That constitutes not spirit. Uh, that constitutes not fleshly warfare, but spiritual warfare. Power. It's, it's done by divine power. So this is spiritual warfare. It's not physical uh, warfare done according to the flesh. So it's done by divine power. How does he exercise that divine power? If you look at those passages, First 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Two one, uh, four, one, and Romans one. What does it indicate there is the this divine power, the basis of the divine power that he uses in combating this era in Corinth? The sword? The word of God, the, the word of God. yes, the sword of the Spirit. It's the uh, the Word of God. He preaches the Word of God. And if we take a look at that, I'm not going to uh, necessarily do all the verses in these passages, but enough for us to, uh, to, to see what he's saying. In 2 Corinthians 12:16. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, we've seen this before, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? I was fast vacillating when I wanted to do this. Do I make my plans? I'm reading the wrong one,' aren't I going backwards that's why okay, here we go. For Christ did not send me to baptize. "...but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." That's the divine power. It's the preaching of the gospel, is what Paul did. That's the warfare that he's engaging in. And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the preaching of the cross. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And Romans 1.6, 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is waging war against error by preaching the word of God. He doesn't enter into the the argumentation and the back and forth. He preaches the word of God and that's the power of God under salvation. Question number three. In verse eight, Paul gives both a positive and a negative statement of the reason God gave him this authority as an apostle. What was this purpose? There's a positive statement and a negative statement in verse 8, same verse, contains both of them. What's the positive and the negative statement of the reason God gave him authority as an apostle? To build up, up, that's a positive statement. What's the negative in verse 8? Not to destroy. It's to build up, it's not to destroy. Uh, and, and that is characteristic of Paul's ministry. You may notice back here when they accuse him in verse 1, uh, who is humble when he's face to face, but he's bold when he's away. In other words, they're accusing him of avoiding conflict. He sounds, you know, this is sort of the Wizard of Oz uh, accusation. Remember the Wizard of Oz, he was mighty and powerful behind the curtain, but when the curtain was pulled away he was timid and weak. And they're they're accusing Paul of being that way. When he's actually here with us, he's weak. He can't stand up for himself, but he goes away and he writes really nasty letters. Um, And and Paul is mocking them by identifying himself as the one who does that. That's their accusation of him. And he says that he is entreating them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Christ is meek and gentle. Take my yoke upon you, he says, for I am what? I am meek. Meekness is the inner uh, characteristic. Gentleness is the outward expression of that. And so Paul says, My ministry is based upon the character of Christ, who is meek and gentle. And you're mistaking that for being weak. Meek is not weak. And as a believer, all of us as believers are obligated to become more and more like Christ. So meekness and gentleness should be characteristic of us as well. So both positive and negative statements of his authority as an apostle. Now question number four. In defending his right to exercise apostolic authority in Corinth, something the interlopers were apparently challenging, Paul gives two reasons why he has his authority. First is in verse 13, the second in verse 14b. I told you where they were. Verse 13, two reasons, and and I even narrowed it down to the second part of, chapter, of, of verse 14. So what are these two reasons? Verse 13 says God has assigned an area of influence. God has assigned him to that area of influence, and he is a fulfilling the authority that God has given to him specifically for that purpose. So what is it in 14b? Paul was the first to bring the Gospel of Christ to the Corinthians. Right. He was the first one. These interlopers didn't move in until after he went to Ephesus. And now they've moved in and they've taken over the ministry that he began and they are teaching era and they're trying to draw the Corinthians allegiance away from, from God's appointed apostle to themselves. And so it's all about themselves. And Paul says, God gave me this area of influence. He empowered me to preach the gospel there and to bring all of you to Christ and to establish his church. And I was the first one who ever came there. And so uh, both of those of those things are important. And then the final question and in, in, uh, number five, Paul has done much boasting defending his authority as an ambassador for Christ. Now boasting, by the way, means to proclaim how great something is. It's not necessarily about yourself, can be. I'm a great person, I'm really good at what I do. That would be self-boasting. But boasting can be about something else too. It's, it's declaring how great something is. So he's done much boasting, defending his authority as an ambassador for Christ. In verses 17 and 18, he gives a principle that explains whose honor he was actually defending. Whose honor was it? It's the Lord's honor that he's defending here, not his own. Now, a lot of people say, well, Paul uh, was fleshly because he defended himself so vigorously. And he demanded allegiance because of his authority as an apostle. But that's not it at all. If you you read these verses that, that we've been looking at today, Paul consistently says it's God's authority. God has given it. And that's what an ambassador is. Uh, that's what an, what an apostle is, is someone who has been sent. By the way, the you remember the name of the two guys that are going to Macedonia with him to take the offering. Old famous and earnest, famous and earnest. Uh, that, he, that he calls them that. He doesn't give their names. He said one's famous preaching the gospel and the others an earnest believer so famous and earnest are going to to corinth with him to take the offering there Uh, they are identified there as being apostles they're those who are being sent by the churches in macedonia they are apostles now that doesn't mean an apostle in the same sense that paul is an apostle the difference is in who's doing the sending. The churches in Macedonia are doing the sending of famous and earnest. God is the one who does the sending of the of the genuine biblical apostles, Paul and the others. And that makes all the difference. That that redefines the meaning of the word. And there is there is an authority that cannot be resisted and cannot be um, turned aside without doing great damage to your own soul. And that's what the interlopers in Corinth were doing. And so he's defending his authority as an ambassador, not to defend himself, but to defend God's honor. And and also to try to build them up and to try to get them to realize their sin because they're not rejecting him, they're rejecting God in doing all of this. So if we look at Jeremiah 9, and this is, this is the Old Testament expression of this thing, and it, it's a wonderful uh, thing that's set forth here in Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We have no reason to boast for anything we might have or anything we might engage in, any activity. Uh, if, If you're wise, it's not your wisdom. If you're strong and mighty, it's not your might. If you're rich, that's not your riches, it's God's. And the only legitimate boasting is to boast in the fact that we understand and know the Lord. And he is the one, he says, who practices steadfast love. That's hesed, one of the most important little words in the Old Testament, hesed which is translated into King James, loving kindness, often translated in the ESV as steadfast love. It's covenant love. It's, it's describing the covenant relationship that God has established between himself and his people. Now, this Lord that we have, the maker of heaven and earth and ourselves, practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And if he sends an apostle, then we should listen to him. And all of us today should listen uh, to the words of Jeremiah and to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 about this aspect of boasting, the proper way and the wrong way to boast. Well, let's look quickly at the outline. Two main points. First of all, Paul's entreaty in the first 11 verses and then God's commendation in verses 12 through 18. We see, first of all, that there is a mistaken opinion on the part of the interlopers and of those Corinthians who have attached themselves to them. They're accusing him in this passage of three things or other things that we read elsewhere. But first of all, they're saying he's weak and ineffective. And that's the Wizard of Oz thing that we talked about. Uh, He's Strong when he's away and can't be confronted with what he's saying. But when he's here in person, he's very weak. And Paul says, but that's based upon the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's the way I'm conducting my ministry. They're saying he has worldly motives. He's operating according to the flesh, not just in the flesh, according to it. So he's tricky, he's crafty. in in the way that he ministers. And he says one thing and does another. And then thirdly, he is unimpressive in his appearance. And his behavior is strange, they say. Uh, So those are the three things that they accuse him of. And Paul addresses those and sort of wipes them away. But then he talks about where the real boasting belongs, not in my ministry, but in God. He has a martial defense. And we saw those things that he lists in chapter 10 that he does that are warlike, but they're not physical with, with real shooting, blowing up weapons. They're spiritual. It's the power of God. He says metaphorically, he wages war. He has weapons fitted for destruction. He tears down obstacles. He takes captives. He's ready to punish disobedience. That's quite a list of things and quite a remarkable description of what the divine power looks like. And the the divine power specifically that he's talking about here is the preaching of the word of God. His faithfulness in preaching the truth of the word of God. In verse 7, he mentions an obvious truth. He says, you'll remember, let me just read it. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. And then down in verse 7, look at what is before your eyes. He's saying, wake up, look here, pay attention to this. I'm going to call your attention to it strongly. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. He's saying it's obvious. They're saying, I don't belong to Christ. The way I conduct my ministry is not Christ-like. And he's saying, wake up and look. You're Christians. Why? Because I brought the gospel to you. So if you're Christians and you have a church established here that I established, I'm in Christ too. And, and that's pretty obvious, so he, he flips away that argument that the interlopers are giving. And then there's an appropriate way to boast that we just talked about, boasting in the Lord, and a realized authority. Uh, let me find it. Let such a person understand that what we say by a letter when absent, we do when present. So he's saying, if I have to, I will take the steps in this warfare to accomplish that which God has given me to accomplish. And back in verse 2, he begs them that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence. In other words, don't make me. Don't make me punish when I come there. Repent of your sin before I get there. And then the second major point, God's commendation in verses 12 through 18. First of all, he talks about self-comparison in verse 12. 12 says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another, and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. He's saying that those interlopers and probably some of the Corinthians that have, have glommed on to them and are, are following them and believing what they're teaching about Paul, uh, he's saying they're, they're comparing themselves to each other. Now, that's a self-referential system uh, my son, that some of you met last week, uh, he has a company where he he does algorithms for determining whether uh, electrical power systems are going to fail before they fail then then he can determine that and one time when he was visiting uh, with us, he said, "Dad, can you take a look at these uh at the mathematics I'm using here and 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 tell me if i'm doing this right now it's been 59 years since i studied that so i took this to be let's throw a little bone to the old man make him feel good and so he asked me about it and i looked at it and i said well jared it's self referential it's a system that has many parts and it's all based upon what the other part what the other parts are doing are the standard for this particular area if there's a sudden change then it would catch it and it would alert you but if it's a slow degrading of the system it's going to drift and it never knows there's anything wrong because it's self-referential and that's what these interlopers in uh in Corinth were doing now I'm glad he asked me I enjoyed telling him that but it was rather obvious. He already knew. Um, So they they were self-referential. Paul says, I don't do that. He then talks about his area of influence that we spoke of in in one of our questions in verses 13 and 14. The basis of the influence is that God has given him that area uh, to exercise authority as an apostle in. And then he says in verses 15 and 16 something very important. And that is his intent in establishing this church in Corinth. He says in 15 and 16, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. What he hopes to accomplish in Corinth is establish a base of operations from which he can move on probably to Spain, since he's mentioned before going to Spain. And and then the Corinthians would be able to support him as he reached out further. So he's wanting to enlarge this area of influence that he has. And then we have that ultimate evaluation in verses 17 and 18. We do not boast in anything that we have for everything we have is given to us by God. We boast in God. So let me close by looking at that verse again. Uh, This is, I think, the main thing that we should get from this passage. Uh, this, This is the Christian way of conducting ourselves in the world. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, has said justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a great God. You are creator of all things, the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including us. And everything that we have is given to us by your hand and by your the exercise of your divine power and by your loving kindness, your unfailing loving kindness. You always are faithful to your covenant even when we are not. And so, Father, I pray that you would impress upon us this truth. I pray that you would help us to conduct our lives in such a way that our boast, our strong boast, is in you and not in anything that we might do. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.